welcome to On The Overrun. I have no idea what episode number this is, and I think it's season three, uh, but it's been a month or two maybe since I've shot the podcast um, because of university obligations such as exams. But that's fine. I'm healthy. I haven't had COVID yet, which is awesome. But today we are in cos.co.za's podcast studio, which is, of course, a massive upgrade from my kitchen apartment that I usually use. And we also have a very cool guest, Thanos Oerstaisen, which we'll introduce now. Um, just prior to shooting this, he said that he's not a man for the camera, usually behind the scenes. So we do respect the fact that he's willing to uh, make an appearance today. Um, so very excited to just gain some insight into the industry and also some of your experiences. Um, you have a book that also lists some of your experiences, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, Anis, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, very cool to be here. Um, feel a bit surreal, but that's fine. I'll get used to it. Um, <laughs> maybe start us off. Just explain to us why cars. Where did this passion come from? Did you see yourself working with cars today? You know, go from little boy Anis up until, you know, father Anis now. Um, maybe just explain to us. <laughs> to be I, honest, no idea. Um, and neither do my parents. Uh, my dad couldn't care less about cars. That's interesting. Um, my mum actually probably is a bit more interested in cars and her mum, so my grandmother, I would say probably she was the one who encouraged it from, you know, from a young age. So she, she played toy cars with me, uh, the top trumps and all those kind of things. But, you know, when, when, when I was like maybe 11, 12, Went through the kitchen, uh, so, so the kitchen cupboards at um, at home in Mariasburg, and we found uh, a car magazine from May 1977, coloured in with crayons, and that's three months after my you birth. So somehow that magazine got into the household. Um, I don't know who would have bought it. Definitely not my dad. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, that's I guess where the seed was planted. So the grandma and the car magazine. Um, yeah. That's interesting. No, I remember my grandpa and my my dad also mad about cars, also mad about car magazine. So we have about from 1975 to, I guess, 2005, almost all the iterations in us. And a lot of them have some crayon marks in. So there mm. are some similarities. So besides the crayon colored car magazine, where do you think the spark for working with cars now came about did you see yourself working with cars in high school years or was this maybe just a dream in the distance or did you have I, other plans i i don't think there was any other option ever until i think you, you know when i when i had to put in my application my to study at university and uh, in in that process i did some research on what journalists actually earned uh, <laughs> so i had a bit of a panic moment there and and almost became a dentist but <laughs> um, I, I'm happy that I didn't um, no from from a very young age I knew that it, it would have to be something mm. with cars uh, and like most boys I think you know you start off with racing driver um, but you know even back then you could see that to do that from South Africa and, and especially from a family that has no uh, you know no resources to to enable that and also n no background in it and and yeah. also from a small town so so it's was stacked against you it's very much so and um so then it it, it sort of uh, i guess changed to car design for a while 
I, I, I remember I wrote to the likes of Bertoni in Italy and, and, and so on, and I did a lot of drawings and stuff. But again, you know, the, the information that I got from, um, from guys in the industry at the time was that, if, you know, to do it from, from South Africa, um, you know, you have to go overseas, you have to go mm. study overseas. And again, uh, you know, the funding and, and, and the resources and kind of stuff wasn't there. So I thought, um, and, and, and I, I guess then I realized that, you know, the answer really was staring me in the face all the time, you know, where else do you get exposed to so many cars mm. um, and I guess a lifestyle of travel and, 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 and doing cool automotive related stuff than in motoring journalism. So, yeah. you know, language has always appealed to me, writing and stuff. So, yeah, that's when the decision was made to pursue that um, at a fairly young age. And, and, and thankfully, everything that had to happen for that to become a reality happened quite smoothly I would yeah. say so first job in motoring journalism uh, not really uh, although that was obviously the plan um, <laughs> you know so at Stellenbosch uh, studying journalism you have to do your internship uh, at, at a publication of your choice I obviously chose car magazine and, and also applied for the bursary I didn't get the bursary but I, I did get uh, the opportunity to do a two-month internship at Car Magazine, and I guess, and that's what I always say to people is, is the relationships is probably, you know, those are probably more important than actually being paid no, to do an internship. Far. And yeah. so I made some very good, rela uh, um, I'd say friends at that point, because I, I mean, I was so young. And yeah, uh, but I think I did enough in, that, in those two months to, to, to make an impression, but there wasn't a position. So after university, I actually, I started my own thing uh, with uh, Dr. Hans Jesse, who was a historian at Stellenbosch University, who was also a motoring journalist, called uh, um, Galimoto Media. And, uh, and we did that. So, so the idea there was to, to create motoring content for the smaller newspapers that, that couldn't afford to have a permanent mm. motoring journalist. So that worked actually quite well for a while. Uh, and that, that I ran parallel to becoming a, the sports editor for Paul Post, actually. Um, and then, yeah, I think probably two months into that position, I got a call from Car Magazine that you oh. know, there, there is a position. But by then, I had already kind of committed to Paul Post. So I actually declined the first opportunity at Car. Um, but then a year later, uh, another opportunity came up, and and this time I, you know, I went for it, and I um, became a staff writer at Car Magazine at the age of twenty-three. Early, yeah. So interesting side note on the Bolt Post job. I went and did some research. So the time you worked at at Bolt Post was, I think, like two thousand, two thousand and one. That was the year I was born, 2000. So yes. just to give you some, mm. yeah, uh, in, anyway. Thanks I don't want that. to make you feel all <laughs> Just an interesting side note. <laughs> um, so the car magazine job started, which of course was the dream. Um, I think it's very cool that you actually didn't go ahead first into the car mag route, you know, where you actually committed to pole post for a bit. Um, I think it shows of character. But anyway, car mag, uh, you started there. Then later on also became editor. Yes. And I think the youngest editor of Carmack. At that time, yeah. At that time. So just tell us a bit about the experience at Carmack. What were some of the things that really stood out for you? Um, maybe about the industry, some experiences you've had. I know you had, you know, 
ample amounts of yeah, test drives. So, so yeah, I was at Car Magazine for 13 years. So you know, a, a lot of very cool things happened: dri- driving Formula One cars, seeing the world. Um, yeah, I guess testing some some really amazing cars locally as well, meeting some incredible personalities, some some boyhood, boyhood heroes, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think that period 2000 to 2013 also coincided with a lot of change in the media landscape uh, you know uh, the internet locally only really started mm. in in terms of motoring media anyway um sort of in that period picking up pace and and back then the car magazine team was really i guess separated in 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 a print team and in an online team and my colleague mike free who still works for Cars of Cosa uh, uh, um, at the moment from Australia, is uh, he started on exactly the same day as I did, but he was online and I was printing. It was mm. sort of separated. And I remember um, back then, for for two weeks of every month, I kind of didn't know what to do with myself. It was a bit, you know, there wasn't really anything to do because, yeah. you, you know, the magazine cycle. So... So and and also because I was the youngest guy and 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 the um, and and unattached at that time, uh, so you know all the long trips and things, you know, were passed on to me. So I did a lot of traveling in in, in the early days, um, a, a lot of the longer trips, which was really cool. Saw the world. Um, but yeah, I, I think from around two thousand and nine thereabouts, you know, things got. I guess more serious in terms of the online uh, integration um, mm. and social media started, uh, you know, coming to the fore as well. And I guess uh, in many ways, being the youngest uh, guy on, on the on the team, a lot of that kind of fell on on me to drive yeah. uh, the integration. And um, yeah, under John Bentley, I became deputy, and then obviously when John uh, retired, then then I moved into the editor seat, and it it. Um, you know, my dream was always to work at Car Magazine. My dream was never to be the editor of Car Magazine. It's, 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 it's a, I think, an important distinction to make because um, that expectation was never there. Um, and my ambition was just to work for Car Magazine. Mm. So I even, even when I was appointed editor, I told Mike at the time, who was my deputy editor, that um, I think I would do it for two years. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think I need to move on because at that time, you know, Car Magazine and being the editor of Car Magazine really represented the pinnacle of, of what you can achieve in motoring journalism and um, still quite young at that point. So I thought that, uh, and, and then as a young family man, I, I, I kind of had to look at the future in terms of career planning, financial planning, uh, personal growth and all those kind of things. So gave myself two years and, and then, you know, I figured I had to make a, make, a, make a change. I think that must have been quite daunting, especially in the era of internet becoming such a big part of car and car journalism. What was the biggest difference for you? I know you, your dream was working and not necessarily being editor, but what was the di- biggest difference for you between just working and actually being edited? Did you feel that changed your passion for cars? Like, were you focus a bit more off cars and actually running a business? Was it sort of the same for you? Yeah, what was like the pinnacle changes? Um, I, it's uh, it's a lot more pressure, I would say, being uh, being the editor, especially 
for brand like car magazine which you know it comes with a lot of history so there's a lot of history to protect but there's also you have to kind of safeguard it position it so that it's 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 ready for the future and then at the time as well you know uh, ramsey media the the owner of of car magazine was also going through a lot of change and and and, and the industry started shifting towards digital a lot so so magazines were under pressure in terms of advertising so it, it was a it was a tricky period but I think uh, for the most part, I had I had the support to do on the magazine what I what I needed to do, um, with, without too much interference, and had a very good team, uh, a very uh, a, a, you know loyal and experienced team working with me. So, and we were all kind of broadly of similar age at mm. that point. Um, so, gelled really well. But it was a big team. Um, I, I don't I don't think it changed my passion for cars. I think um, if anything, I, in terms of I, I always wanted to to remain part of what's current in the motor industry, mm. even even if I was mostly in my office. And and I think that's been the same even even now in my current position, which is not really a journal journalism uh, journalism position. I still want to make sure that I get to drive the cars when they come out. I still want to, s to stay up to date on, on trends in the industry. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I guess I had to, to do, do it all uh, for a while. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it ultimately is sustainable for a long period. Yeah. yeah. So your career path took a bit of a turn from there. Not much still in the car industry, but of course, bit of a turn. But one last question on the on car mag. So something I'm very interested about is how South African magazines and companies like Cars That Goza, how they perceive your overseas, your European or American car brands or, you know, motoring uh, magazines and publications as such. Um, Top Gear, there's also a car in, in UK, Evo, Autocar, you know, there's ample amounts but how do you as a south african company perceive those companies are they a threat are they inspiration did they have any effect on i guess what was happening here or was of africa just this bubble um on its own um i think you know car magazine has always been an anomaly uh, in a way because even if you comp if you compare the market size of south africa in terms of the, the number of people and the number of cars being sold here the number of magazines that Car Magazine has traditionally sold um, has been really incredible. Um, I would say, I'm not sure what the circulation figures are at the moment, but you know, first of all, Car Magazine South Africa is older than Car Magazine in the UK. It's actually the first, Didn't first, know that. first title. Interesting. Yeah. So. Um, Car Magazine had a lot of respect from overseas publications. So when I was uh, sort of starting at Car Magazine, I went overseas and introduced myself as being from Car Magazine South Africa. The respect that it carried was actually significant. That's interesting. Um, and in general, I would say the same counts uh, for journalists from South Africa in general. So if we travel in a group, then you can feel from the brands and from the other media that there is respect for the South African publications. Uh, in terms of um, 
the impact, I guess, of overseas publications on the local publications. Obviously, in the digital age, it's different because uh, if you go into Google, you know, the result that you get first or second or third is where you're going to go. It doesn't yeah. really matter whether it's it's South African or not, unless you're specifically looking for South African um, content. So in that respect, it's, it's kind of um, broken down the barriers, which has made it more difficult for, for, for the local publications. But you know, in the print era, uh, it might be a might be interesting little side story. Is when um, when Top Gear when the word came first came out that Top Gear was coming to South Africa as a printed mm. title, a couple of the local publishing houses were obviously in the running, um, you know, negotiating for it, including Ramsey Media, which published Car. And at that time, it was at the height of Top Gear. Top Gear success uh, globally with clocks and the likes. So the fear was that if you allow our other publishing house to take Top Gear and they manage to you know, replicate the kind of success that it's had elsewhere in South Africa, then it would kill Car Magazine. Mm. So the, the idea was that Ramsey should get their foot in the door as well and get Top Gear. And then the, the the next phase of the discussion was that okay, so if we get Top Gear, then what about Car? Yeah. So you you kind of have, you you kind of push to either killing off Car, merging it, or um, you know Car goes the complete what Car very consumer focused route, and Top Gear goes the entertainment route. And I think that's probably where a lot of um, say uh, irritation on my part uh, came. Um, probably more. Um, frustration because I don't think a lot of people uh, casual motoring people understand the difference between consumer journalism and entertainment yeah a lot of the things said and you know on top care is not because it's you know relevant from a consumer point of view it's 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 purely to to entertain or to shock or or whatever so um, at that time it was f- the opinion of certain people that there isn't really anyone in South Africa that could write in the Top Gear style. That's interesting. And so uh, that was also the period where it was clear that um, you know I might have to put my hand up to become editor pretty soon because John uh, might be approaching retirement. So that's why I wrote the book. The book was purely. It, it, I mean, the book hasn't made me any money. It's, it's it hasn't made the company any money. The book was written purely because I needed to show that whichever way the company decided to go, mm. that somebody can write in that style, and it's not my style. It's just you force yourself to write in that style because yeah. that's what that publication or that brand uh, deserves. So or, or wants. Uh, so that's how the book came about. That's very interesting. Yeah. So maybe more in the book for those who have no idea what it is, what it's about. Maybe just give us some insight. So back I on. mean, the book is really, um, it's called Cranked Up Confessions of a Petrolhead. So they're written column style, very much like Clarkson's books. It's really fashioned on that. And um, the um, it's just a collection of, I guess, short stories uh of my adventures as a motoring journalist, you know, going overseas, um, seeing new places, yeah. the, the mixture of history with, with I guess, the, the motoring experiences and, you know, funny personalities that I've met along the way. 
but it's it's a very old book it's very dated now um <laughs> yeah does it sit on your shelf back home or is it a bit of a oh don't really want to look at it or? look it's not my style yeah. of writing um but it served its purpose yeah so um no it's not a, i actually don't have a bookshelf <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's very interesting i had no idea that's why you wrote the book of course that's mm -hmm. i had no idea um but just to see the effect uh, hopefully it had a desired effect on the people who had to read it or see that hey listen well i got the possible. job so it, it, uh, it, well there you go okay yeah. so <laughs> achieve the purpose that's good that's yeah. good um any plans for writing another one in the future no no not really <laughs> no because i think the process of writing a book is is uh i guess more tedious um more prolonged than you think um also i guess more insightful more enjoyable for some people um, but I don't think it's a, a joke writing a book. Like it's not just putting pen on paper. There's a lot of editing and reviewing and yeah, correction going in. I guess. Um, look, I don't mind writing. Well, journalist, yeah. Um, I I like researching. So that aspect was cool. Um, but it if if you if you measure the the time uh, that it takes and you compare it with what you potentially get in return um at the moment you know motoring books in south africa i don't think there's much yeah i think if someone wants potential. to read a similar book well I guess clausen's mm. books are sure. good enough so off the topic of car magazine we go on further off the car magazine you went into the motor industry the yeah. motor industry so what is your next job what do you do so um I guess even the process of me leaving Car Magazine was a bit w uh, different to what it usually ends up being, is that I gave very advanced notice that I intend leaving. I didn't say when. I, mm. As I said, I, I do intend leaving, and I'm going to start, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's available out there. So I, I was open to the company about that. Um, and I guess it took around six months of sort of exploring options. Uh, spoke to, to quite a few brands, but, you know, again, from a practical point of view, I think um, I wanted to remain in Cape Town. Um, uh, the alternative was obviously Johannesburg or, 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 yeah. or PE or, or so on, and, and, and potentially even overseas. But I think more than anything else, you know, at that point, although... I, you know, I was still quite young in, in terms of even car magazine uh, um, terms. Entering the motor industry at that age and starting right at the bottom and focusing on one thing would, I mean, to get to, to work yourself up would just take forever. So yeah. if, if you joined a big brand, you would become the product manager on a specific model, for example, or the marketing manager on a specific area of the business or whatever it may be so or the pr and and to work and the, and the career path then is is quite um quite long it, it, you you kind of in a, in a little box yeah understand so what i wanted was a brand that would give me as much accelerated experience in all facets of the motor industry in a very very compacted period of time and then from then on, hopefully to grow in that company and, you know, see where it takes me. 
So at that point, um, you know, there were a couple of Chinese brands in the country, and 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 the one that that I guess even now still is is the one that stands out is GWM, mm. and um, so so I joined GWM as a brand manager in 2013, and I stayed with them for two years, and in those two years, I did uh, product planning, I did pricing. Um, I even named some of the models. Um, I did the, the specs with the Chinese uh, marketing, you know, press releases, launches, motor shows, Quite a comprehensive. Uh, some dealer training, uh, briefing the dealers on, on new model plans. Um, so it was very, I guess, thrown into the deep end and, and, and um, a lot of it was very new and a lot of comparative research uh, being done. And, and it's interesting, you know, also from that side to look at the media industry mm. and see where you, where you get your value and, and, and stuff. So I would say those two years were tough, but they were incredibly valuable. Um, mm. The experience that I that I gained in, in in those two years have actually helped me a lot in in my subsequent career at Costa So uh, yeah, I would I would never not uh, do it over again if I if, <laughs> if I could. And um, yeah, it's it's quite cool to see how GWM Naval is is doing at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, the, when I went to China the first time in 2013, just after I joined, we went to the new factory in Shushui, and already back then sat in the first H2 that came off the line. Yeah. So you can just see how far they've come in in a relatively short short space of time. It's cool to be part of that process for a while. We are back after a short break. Uh, we were just speaking about Aval GWM, something I noticed about the Chinese brands. Like usually you cut, you know, give them slack because of, I don't know, you think they're bad quality or just mass produced, you know, nothing that the car guy would ever like. But to be honest, Looking at the current Vols especially, like they are quite good looking cars. I saw one the other night, drove by and I just saw the rear daylight and I thought, okay, Volvo XC60 maybe, but actually no, it's a Vol. So mm -hmm. these brands are really growing, um, especially also your Korean brands, Japanese. Those guys are really giving the, you know, the European, the Germans around for their money, which is very good. Um, no, I mean, look, they've 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 hired so many of the the top designers, so it, it's yeah. just, and engineers as well. Would so. you would you ever go back and work for a single brand doing similar to what you did at GWM? Um, unlikely. Uh, the position that I'm in at the moment at Gazette Cosa is, um, I guess, quite unique in the sense that although the brand has been around since around 2009 so it's not quite a startup anymore it's now yeah. more than 10 years old it's a it's a very young at heart company um it's got a very dynamic leadership um and it's a it's a company that's not scared to try new things so it's uh, yeah i'm in a good position it's a it's an exciting place to be um i get to you know um to live a lot of the dreams that I, that I've always had. So you know, classic car ownership is um, is something that the company is even into now. So yeah, and managing that project as well. And we're moving into, um, or my position is sort of changing into sort of again uh, a kind of a brand management position, uh, and that brings with it, uh, you know, a lot of um, challenges and, and and new opportunities as well. So I don't think so. I've th I've, I've ticked that box. Um, 
again, you know, at this point now, uh, probably too old to to make a move into the motor industry anyway. Um, no, I'm I'm happy where I'm. So your title, job title, is customer experience manager. Um, I can only assume what that would mean, but I guess you it can means give nothing. me. Okay, so it's a it's just a title, <laughs> just a title, so yeah. that you can do whatever they need you to do. Well, yeah, I guess at the time at the time of my appointment, the idea was that um, anything that would uh, affect consumer um, experience when they come to Cars to the to the website or the, to the platform uh, would fall under my um, leadership. But you know, it is a dynamic company. It changes all the time. So, so what I've, uh, what it's evolved into essentially is 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 obviously a, a sort of a leadership position in the Ca- in the Cape Town team, which is mm. where the content is created. Uh, heading up the content team and building out the content team for for a couple of years, establishing some strategic projects, which, you know, the consumer awards, sentimental and the likes. Um, developing some tools to help people. Um, you know, find the right car, um, you know, based on, on, on some very basic specs and things. And, and and kind of the mandate has always been to disrupt, um, you know, uh, the industry. So I enjoy that challenge. And it's, and it's moving more into that kind of um, how do we make cars or Coza the most well-known, respected, uh, loved brand, motoring brand in the country. And, and that's, I guess, what I keep myself busy with. So, uh, yeah, it reminds me of your job at GWM, a bit of everything and in the buy where they need you. Um, but it's also cool. I think you have, you know, more than one certain set of skills and you can definitely make use of it in more than one way. Yeah, it goes. Um, for those who can't see, of which is everyone, um, we were just looking at a... I don't know what generation it is, but it's a old BMW E23. E23, 635i, um, just being jump-started, driving out here, which is very cool. Um, but we are sitting nearby the Sentimental showroom, and this is also quite a cool... I don't know if I could call it a passion project, yeah, but it's, passion I mean, it's filled, fueled, surrounded by passion uh, for old cars, but like just the heroes of the day, I guess. Um so you have quite a few things going on in cars goes you have your sentimental you have the bot well i don't know if you still do the podcast but you have the youtube channel which is on fire at the moment um and i don't want to just limit it to south africa but in terms of south african youtube channels for cars it's doing unbelievably well like even competing against some of our you know overseas rivals which is awesome um you have that and then of course you have the online um store which you can buy yeah. cars at, which is yeah very cool. Um, is your do you find your focus shifting between these compartments regularly, or is it sort of their own units just doing their thing, growing independently? So um, let's let's talk about the content team first. Um, you know that's kind of where I've I've come from, and I've, I've um, the team that we have. Is is now very experienced, um, and and Ashley Oldfield is is um, re- quite recently moved into leadership position there. So I'm increasingly hands off uh, in terms of content. So I, I almost never attend new launches uh, anymore. I do do still drive the cars, 
but but in terms of i guess driving content direction i still at a high level have involvement and the guys report to me obviously but um i would like them to you know to bring their own flavor mm. um to the dire- direction that things are going i think the the, the basis and the, the the foundation is solid enough um for them to run with it but um you know the the market is 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 changing very quickly and, and the competition isn't standing still yeah. so um the founders of cars at Cosa will always describe the company as a as a tech company first uh not not necessarily automotive company and and tech is really important to us so um we we definitely we're working on a massive site rewrite at the moment um we've just updated the content uh, management system for the first time in a long time that allow us to um to be far more flexible in terms of graphics uh, you know photographs quotes video uh, integration all those kind of things and then um it's always uh, important to to remember that you know up to 70% of our traffic is mobile so you have to make yeah. sure that you know things look good on mobile as well and there's certain things that work on YouTube that won't work on the main site because the main site is very consumer focused whereas on YouTube you want uh, a mix of um I mean, you know, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world. So you you want people to be able to find reviews if they want that. But yeah. but in terms of your fans, they want entertainment. And so you know, Chiro is is, is heading up the the video department, and he's by far the best motoring presenter uh, in in South Africa. So um, I mean, again, we're very blessed with a very strong team. So in 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 the various pockets of content management, I guess I can be more hands off. And as I said earlier, I think uh, my my focus in in the uh, in in the coming years is really uh, about brand. Um, where do you see the brand? Who do you associate with the brand? Um, what what new um, products can we launch? Um, some involvement in that as well. But. Uh, yeah um it it's 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 a period of i guess transition for me at the moment um and and trying to get my head around because we've never had this position before um you know where do you spend the money mm. where how do you change the perception and i mean the perception is good it's it's not like yeah. it's broken so it's it's really about um I think surprising people, delighting people, um, entertaining people, and uh, and then on the other hand, you know, we are a proudly South African company. It's a privately owned company. It's not one of the big mm-hmm. um, corporations, and the people that that um, that are in charge of the company is very passionate about South Africa and sustainability and um, and, and and a lot of need in 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 the country. So. We are looking at um, we're looking at education. We are looking at um, uh, sports development. We're looking at uh, um, you know green ventures, so, so solar farms, all these kind of things, um, which is also kind of falls under brand. So I'm really moving into a, a new space <laughs> for myself. <laughs> yeah. But but ultimately, all these things need to come back to. Um, building the Cosa brand. So sentimental, tell us a bit more about 
what it is and how your involvement, yeah, what is your involvement in it? Uh, what's the aim with what you want to do with it? If you can elaborate on that. Yeah, so we, um, I, I feel very strongly that um, South Africa is, is one of the most petrol-headed countries in the world. Um, I, I think we've got, m and, 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 and I think there's a lot of things that you can look that tell you that. Uh, I mean, there, there's not a weekend that goes by without car groups having mm -hmm. runs. And if you go to, to Gauteng, it's the same story. Uh, the success uh, of, of motoring media, even today, I mean, we've got three magazine, motoring magazines on the shelf. If you, even if we exclude speed and sound, you've got mm -hmm. Apex Car Magazine and Top Gear on the shelf at the moment, which really you would not think is sustainable. Mm. And, and they might end up not being sustainable, but it, it, is, it is a sign that there, there are a lot of uh, petrol heads in this country. But petrol-headed content is not really um, consumer content. And uh, you have to keep the cause of COSA focus really pure on, on service, you know, serving the consumer. But at the same time, when it comes to building brand love, um, you, you kind of have to engage with the petrol-head community as mm. well. And so um, we've, we've had success before we launched Sentimental in, in um, even international exposure in terms of the more petrol-headed content that we produce. So the, uh, so the idea is that Sentimental becomes kind of the, the enthusiast lifestyle brand for Cars at Cosa. It's, it's part of Cars at Cosa, but it is managed, I guess, on its own. Um, I'm driving the project at the moment and um, you know when we when we started going on these meets and these runs um, we didn't have a car to take on, on, on these runs with us so mm. the idea was we buy one car we, we restore it we tell the story of the restoration you know you, you, you start meeting people in the industry um, and, and so that car I mean I'm pointing at an Opel Cadet Superboss under a cover there uh, was the first car. It was an absolute basket case when we found it. Uh, it went through a more than a year-long restoration. It's probably you know one of the best super bosses in the world at the moment. And and we entered into concourse. We learned more there. And I mean that's a story for another day. <laughs> but uh, and and then the idea came that you know again as a proudly South African company we've. We've got this incredible automotive heritage in this country, uh, particularly in the era of the 80s and 90s, where you've got the homologation special, which is the cars that uh, that were developed to win on the track, mm. and, and of which they had to build a, a, a limited number of cars. And you know, so cars like the Superboss, the the three to five ISs, the the Capri Piranhas, mm. the uh, Alpha GTV six three liter. So the um, plan was hatched I guess to to build a collection um, some of the cars we buy already restored some of the cars we buy and we go through the process of restoration so at the moment we are restoring uh, original Ford Capri Piranha in Johannesburg um, and then you know the the idea in the end was always that when cars it goes and, and hopefully when things go back to normal after COVID is to have a physical space where People can come and engage with Cars of the brand, with Sentimental, yeah. uh, have a coffee next to the cars, chat about the cars, see the cars, take photos of the cars. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, as, as Cars of 
has always been a, a, a digital entity, make it a little bit more real for people, a, a, a physical space. And that's kind of where the idea with sentimental sits at the moment. And, and I mean, these cars are not going to depreciate. Yeah. So they're, they're safe, safe investments uh, yeah. in that sense. Uh, although they're all, they are old cars and, and things do, 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 do go wrong. Your financial advisor won't advise you to put your money in cars, but... Well, uh, it depends. Uh, a lot of them are these days actually, you know, telling people to consider that option. Maybe not these cars. Yeah. Um, but in South African terms, I don't think we'll make a loss on any of these cars. Which is good. Yeah. So... I think Sentimental is an awesome project. And from what you've told me about where it's headed, that's awesome. I'm also all about, you know, gathering people around these cars. Because it's all about the passion that you have for these, but also it means nothing if you can't share it with someone. So that's very cool also that you have the ability as cars that goes to do this. Um, but on to more general car questions. Uh, of course, you still do some test drives now and then. Um, not necessarily writing about it or appearing on YouTube or so, but you still get to experience the most awesome new cars and old cars. Um, maybe tell us about some recent cars you've driven that has really shocked you in terms of, wow, that's awesome, really enjoyed that. Some of your favorite cars recently driven. Yeah, that is quite a tough question. I drive so many cars. And, and to be honest, when it comes to modern cars, you hardly ever get really bad cars mm. there's there's a, there's a lot of cars that are sort of average and, and so on but standout cars wow uh, sure um yeah I, look i mean it's completely out there but the porsche taycan is is uh, an astonishing machine um the bmw m2cs uh, from a driving perspective is you know it's just a kick-ass car um i think w when i drive new cars I, i'm i'm not a racing driver so when i drive new cars i very much drive them with my consumer hat on mm. and and i must say that um and, if, and you can see it in the sales sales volumes as well Suzuki and and Haval at the moment seem to be the brands that are really, um, I guess, drawing a lot of new customers to them from other brands because they, on the face of it, seem to offer better value for money than than other cars. Yeah. But then I would say, you know, if it comes down to just uh, take ownership and 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 value out of it, I think um, the new Peugeots are really impressive cars. Uh, the Peugeot, new Peugeot 208, okay. 2008, 3008. Um, beautifully designed. Oh, they look unbelievable. Um, great features. They just, um, they're not holding back. Eh? They just. Uh, and even from a thing. reliability perspective as a French car, I mean, not really such a big thing these days. Uh, like most French cars, Renaults, your Peugeots are actually reliable these days. And, you know, if something breaks, you can get them serviced quite easily. Um, which I think with all the French cars, such as that Citroën. That's the know. most reliable car that I've ever owned. <laughs> well, <laughs> proven wrong, proven wrong. Yeah. No, look, I, I, I think the French cars do have a bad rep in this country. And, and I think... 
look, there were obviously some issues with, with Renaults in the 90s and early 2000s with electronics uh, uh, particularly and, and so on. But much of the bad rep, rep was actually due to um, inconsistency in, in, in the local distributors and, mm. and, and the backup and, and so on. So now that that seems a bit more secure, uh, I think it's, it's worth considering the guys again. But if you look at, you know, something that we started when we started Cars Awards is um, one thing that has always frustrated me as a motoring journalist and a consumer journalist is that you can't really tell somebody to buy a car just based on the car. Mm. When you buy a car, you, you enter into kind of a, a long-term relationship with that brand. Um what is it like what is that car's reliability going to be like what is the after-sell service going to be like what is the resale value going to be like that is probably more important than the actual car because at the moment most cars are pretty good yeah you know it's it's really percentages of degrees better one way or the other way so how do you as a consumer journalist put yourself in a position where you can tell someone this is a better buy mm. not, not car a yeah. better buy than this car and so motoring journalists in this country at least have always really relied on I guess hearsay and perception and rumor and you know my uncle had a car like that <laughs> and he had a bad experience or whatever so we we, we built the um, the consumer awards really on the back of ownership satisfaction survey um, which is really we're trying to do like a JD power of of South Africa and it goes into a lot of detail it's 50 questions it's done by Lightstone uh, Auto um, and it and it goes into every facet from why you bought the car where you bought it uh, you know what that experience was like what it's now like living with a car uh, what the reliability has been like and would you consider the car again all that kind of stuff and based on that there is still, in terms of what people score their vehicles, uh, a difference between the French cars and, you know, the other brands. That is interesting. I think with what you mentioned now, like what's the better buy, what's the better car, a lot of brands are going into collaborations. Uh, Toyota, Suzuki, um, Volkswagen Group, which, you know, basically the old German <laughs> range of something like Q7, Sturex, whatever, share the same platform. So arguably in some way very similar cars so then what distinguishes these cars you know often it's not even something about the car but the intangible stuff like a, a service plan or maintenance plan or your reputation of the brand like these are the factors that are actually starting to distinguish these cars um but looking a bit more ahead to the future i guess i have to ask this um you said that Taycan was an astonishing car so what are your views on the electric cars coming in um and do you th yeah i guess what do you think the effect on south africa will be in the next 10 20 years um are you for them are you against them what are your i'm very thoughts? much for it um i find electric cars incredibly exciting to drive they and it and it also feels like when it comes to electric cars the brands are more courageous in terms of design yeah uh, so they're willing to push the boundaries so it really feels when you're driving a modern electric car like you're driving the future. And then you get back in a normal petrol, you know, car with a CVT gearbox and it feels you know, <laughs> a, bit a, bit plain. a bit plain. But um, uh, whether it will work in South Africa or not, um, you know, I guess it's not really the question 
um, in the end, it's going to go that way anyway. I, I'm not exactly sure how quickly, but yeah. it at this point, South Africa, the South African appetite for EVs hasn't really been tested because if you look at the cars that we've had here, um, IX, uh, sorry, the i3, now old car, very limited range, very quirky design, um, not that practical. The i8's obviously um, basically a sports car. Then you've got um, a Nissan Leaf, which was way ahead of the curve, but again, very, very short uh, range. And um, at the time, probably, you know, also very expensive. Even back then, it was yeah. like 500,000 Rand. The Mini, again, it's a compact car. It's 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 over 550, I think, 600,000 Rand. So where is a, a practical well-shaped, um, comfortable, I wouldn't say average car, but a, a, a car that would appeal to the common man at a semi-decent price from a respected brand. Mm. So until Volkswagen launches the ID3 in South Africa, I don't think we really know what what the appetite really is. So I'm very keen to see, see what happens there. Um, Look, the fact that they are taxed because they are luxury items because of something that happened in the past and you know, as a result they are still uh, way too expensive, that's something ridiculous that needs to be fixed. Mm. If, if, this, if this country wants a motor industry in the future, it, it needs to radically... Slacken the reins. Radically you know, um, get going on... On, on transforming that sector and, and, and the rules so and incentivize. Um, you know, the ESCOM situation isn't helping, but now that you've got cars with ranges of 400 kilometers plus um, and, and, and the fa- coupled with the fact that if you are in a position to own a second car, which in most instances what an electric car will be, um, you probably own a house and you probably have a garage. Mm. You can charge overnight and... You know, you're fine, and, and, and whether you have eight hours or six hours, it, it'll be enough because yeah. you've got a four hundred. So, I'm not saying it's 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 likely in the in the in the short term future that we're going to be driving our electric cars from Joburg to um, Cape Town. But I think for a lot of people with secondary cars that mostly run around town, they once the pricing is sorted, they actually make quite a lot of sense, and mm. uh, especially from a maintenance point of view as well. And Eskom really doesn't impacted that much that's interesting no i think it's yeah i haven't heard this insight um from such a consumer-minded perspective i guess um but one big thing that just comes up is the infrastructure but of course i mean i think that's a lot of developing countries problem um, with accepting and acquiring the electric market um just keep, just keep in mind that uh, you know for a lot of the countries which are actually ahead of the curve in terms of um um, adopting electric cars home ownership with garages is not necessarily a given as it is is, or it doesn't usually go along with car ownership as readily as it does here Um, so we have actually got an advantage on 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 that side okay well does make sense i guess (laughs) i don't really know um but in terms of the electric cars being brought out now 
especially from your bigger brands, Porsche, Mercedes, bringing out a massive range of electric cars, of course, not available yet here. It is very exciting. And as you said, it does make it worth it if it's at least 400 kilometers or more of range. Uh, range anxiety is just the biggest factor at the moment. But in terms of luxury and what your average guy needs in a car, it definitely delivers it. Um, you know, if not more in terms of efficiency. So on the other end of the spectrum, we spoke or we mentioned your Citroen. Um, tell me a bit of your, about your cars that you have now and you know, I guess some of the dream cars you'd like to add to the garage in later years. So, um, yeah, the Citroen, look, again, I, I've, I've always had a fascination with anything French. So I, I studied French at university, for example, for three years. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite countries to visit. Um, this is something about it that I like. Um, the DS, I think, for a car that was launched in 1955, the shape of it, the the advanced safety features in it is just, um, un, I don't think any car has ever arrived on the market and had such a massive step forward until the Tesla Model S really arrived. Um, Porsche 959? Maybe in supercar terms, but I mean, that's hardly a... Okay, uh, well, a, yeah. a, a, you know... A, a volume player yeah. or, or, or mass market kind of car. Um, yeah, and there's, there's just sculpture about it that I also like. So aesthetically, um, you know, I, I, I really like it. And, and cars from the, let's say, mid-60s to early 70s is really my, where I tend to find the cars that I like the look of. Um, so in 2000 and five i think i bought a, a 1971 opal gt of which apparently fewer than 10 of them came into the, into this country and that car it, it looks very much like a mini corvette um stingray it's another one it's it's, it's from that era very curvy um flowing lines so I sold the car in 2011 when my daughter was born simply because because of financial reasons and I, not because I wanted to, uh, following the restoration. And then um, from around 2015, 16 odd, I, I've been trying to find that car. Uh, it's a car that's on the cover of my book, the red car. Yeah. And ev eventually I tracked down the car in uh, Kimberley and it was part of a collection and, and the owner didn't want to sell. So... Um, late last year, early this year, I just took another chance and I just popped the guy a message and, and he said, speak to my son. I spoke to his son and they agreed to sell the car back to me. So I've bought that car again now. Um, it is now uh, up in Johannesburg with the man who restored our super boss, who's a real Opel expert. So it's, and you know, subsequently we've had, um, I guess, Mr. Opel GT South Africa look at the car and we've discovered that it is not supposed to be red. Uh, it's supposed to be Aztec gold, which makes it even more, um, I guess, r uh, you know, uh, special. So now I have to kind of figure out, do I take it back to gold or do I keep it in red? I actually like it in red. I'm not, you know, um, but I, I'm also a stickler for originality. So, you know, these are the kind of debates that you sit with when you have cars. So what else would I like in my collection? So... At the moment, I'm looking for a 
modern classic, so sort of 80s, 90s, that I can drive daily. So, you know, especially during COVID period, there are times when there are not enough test cars. So, and I don't really like to get in an Uber <laughs> in, 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 uh, in this time. So I would like something that's special, but not too special that you're too precious about it. Mm. Obviously something that, you know, appeals visually and in, in terms of performance. So I think um, probably maybe maybe something around the E36 BMW uh, thereabouts might might be something to look at. Um, you know, if 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 the next couple of years go really well and there's more money to to to, to buy things that that you know you really dream about, I guess that you know the the scope of the dreams get bigger as well. But um, yeah, I think I need need a cabriolet of some sort as well. I think an old Mercedes maybe. I'm crazy about 80s, 90s old Mercedes. Um, yeah. 190e, 500e. Yes. I mean, unbelievable cars, overbuilt. Mm. If you ask me. Over-engineered, yeah. 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 So I, I, th I mean, as you can see, I'm not, I'm not really specific to brand. Um, there's, there's, there's not really something that stops me from. Actually, there's some brands that I like the old cars more than the new cars, and you know, vice versa as well. Which is French brands or German? Generally, the French brands. Uh, but as I said, Peugeot now, um, I think they they're up there again. I think um, touching on Peugeot, one of the coolest cars for me ever is the is the 108 GTI. Or the rally, like the very old, it's like super small boxy Peugeot. It's either 106 GTI. Or the 205 maybe. Or the, no, there's a 205. That's right. I don't know why mm. I forgot the number now. Either the, the yeah, that GTI was never and sold yeah, um, But yeah, and, I mean, the UK magazine still go crazy about that car. Yeah. And just because I, I remember a video that Chris Harris did with yes. that in the, the GT3 Touring. Yes. Or was it the 911R? I think it's 911R. Yeah. Just comparing, you know, modern day versus, you know, back yeah. then manual drivers, analog cars. Yeah. Just how it differs. Um, and I think that was driving, you know, enjoyment and pleasure at its finest yes. at the roots. So I think that's very cool about your 80s, 90s cars too. You still have some sort of luxury, yeah. which is very nice. Um, that's why I prefer your older Mercedes, but still that glossy look, but then just the feel of like a, you know, a real car almost. But but you know what we've found with Sentimental is that most of the interest uh, from our audience at least is really in that 80s, 90s, noughties period. Well, I guess that was their growing up years. Exactly. Now. So guys my age now finally being able to maybe buy a car that they used to admire mm. when, when they were younger. So that's really the growth area for, for classics at the moment. You know, I, I always I also like a good station wagon. Um, yes. Which one? Uh, y y I think that you know Volvo has done some amazing station wagons. Obviously, the eight fifty, uh, you know, T um, R, five series Tourings. Well, I don't know if they've really worked for me. I would say the Audi wagon is probably more attractive to me. Um, okay. But then, 
you know the 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 Mercedes, a very modern one, the Mercedes CLS shooting brake. Um, to me, is just an incredibly beautiful. Car. Were they sold in South Africa? Because yeah. I very very limited number, but they, they they were sold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks unbelievable. With that, uh, I think it was a cherry wood floor in the back. Yes, stunning. So, if I told you, okay, you can pick any road and any car you'd like to drive now, what road and what car would it be? Anywhere in the world. Yo, spring a difficult question out of the <laughs> blue, eh? Yeah, it um, is something to ponder on. I've never done Stelvio Pass. Um, yeah, I, th- I think... I think that's a consideration, but, w- you know, I was with uh, with Porsche in 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 France once for the launch of previous gen Boxster. And the route was the same route that they drive, or partly the same route that they drive for the Monte Carlo Rally. So it's against the cliffs, you know, with the drop-offs. And yeah. Um, and you hear the sound of the car really well. And, and there's a sense of history there as well. So, yeah, I think that route with... A nine nine seven GT three RS. Four liter or normal RS. I yeah. That I think the Mezga engines, I yeah. There's not much closer to motoring heaven than you can get than that. That's very cool. Anes, I wanna thank you for joining today, for being willing to come in front of the camera. Um but I think I've learned a lot and we also experienced a lot and it was very cool just to hear your stories um so yeah hope you enjoyed it um just you can give it a listen on spotify apple music maybe give it a comment if you don't like something about the podcast if you like it you know why not comment why not like and that just helps with you know me trying to get new guests and get more people to create a passion for cars and create appreciation so I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Anas, again. And I always Pleasure. say, rather love cars because it's better than drugs. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right. Sometimes more expensive, but... Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right. Cheers. Cheers.